Hey there, welcome to this excellent church. We believe the word of God is the charter of our lives and God's way to reshape values and reconcile men to himself. We hope this message brings edification, exhortation and comfort. Be blessed. We ask it in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So let me read to us saints from uh, Philippians chapter 1. I want to read... Um, the, the whole chapter, bear with me, um, I do that so that I could establish quite quickly the context for us, but in particular our subject will be taken from verse 21, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. But let me read from verse 1 to us, Philippians chapter 1, and I'll be reading from the ESV, um, Philippians chapter 1. Paul and Timothy servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you, for you all making my prayer with joy, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all, with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Verse 12, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. Verse 18, what then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Let me stop there. Scientists tell us that the world that we live in is part of 
a galaxy known as the Milky Way, which is made up of a series of planets that are fixed and orb around a giant star that we know as the Sun, right? Now, the reason why they tell us these planets, including our planet Earth, are kept in rotation without spinning out of this galaxy is not as a result of any intrinsic power that they possess within themselves. What was discovered was that the sun, <coughs> excuse me, being so large, pulled all the planets towards itself without causing them to collapse into it through the force of gravity. If you need more scientific explanation, speak to me after service. I don't want to take too much time on that. But I use that analogy or illustration to try and, uh, try and bring out what I think is the essence of what the Apostle Paul is communicating to the Philippians church. And what we will see in our text this morning is that for the Apostle Paul, the Lord Jesus Christ had become his son. Paul had come to a place in his Christian life where the reference point to all that was happening to him, all he was experiencing was Christ. At this point in his walk of faith, Paul was able to see Christ as the center of his existence. He interpreted everything that happened to him from a Christ-centered perspective. Whatever he was going through, he saw it from a place of Christ being his king, his lord, his sovereign, his friend, his God, his everything. And this is essentially what we see him saying to the church of Philippa here. Paul is in prison when he writes this letter. There are three letters that we have in the um, a New Testament that captures to us Paul's first imprisonment. You say first? Yes, Paul was in prison a few times. This is not the kind of apostle that was riding in limousines and, uh, and having an escort of all sorts of people following him. To be an apostle in the days of our Lord Jesus Christ was to be called to suffer. It was to be called to become a primary agency of pain and recipient of great trial. The Apostle Paul was in prison when he wrote this letter. He doesn't know at this time what is going to happen with him. He's in prison in Rome. And what we find in verse 19 is Paul telling the church, that despite the fact that he is in prison, he has cause to rejoice. He talks about deliverance in verse 19. He says, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. Now, if you were to just isolate that verse and read it, you would think that Paul was talking about deliverance as it relates to being delivered from prison. But that was not Paul. That was not what he was talking about. Remember, the reference point for Christ's life was for Paul's life was Christ. When he talks about deliverance in verse 19, he explains it in verse 20 and then substantiates it in verse 21. In verse 20, he says, it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed. So when Paul says that, I'm I trust that through your prayers and the, the supply of the Holy Spirit, it will turn out for my deliverance. The deliverance of which he speaks is not a physical deliverance. We'll see in verse 21 that for Paul, whether he was out of prison or not, was really in the grand scheme of things inconsequential. The deliverance that he was looking for was the deliverance of not being ashamed of Jesus Christ. What a man. What a Christian. 
Friends, is this Christianity to you? Have you tapped into this, 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 this kind of Christian reality where everything concerning you is about not being ashamed of Jesus, that you have seen the glory of Jesus Christ so profoundly, the majesty, the honor, the wisdom, the beauty of the Lord has so impacted you that all you want in this life is to stand for Christ without ever being ashamed. That was the Apostle Paul. He says, what I'm praying for is to not be ashamed, but that with full courage now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or death. Paul says, I don't know what the Lord's will is for me, whether I live or whether I die. But even if I die, even if I marched to the gallows, even if they send me to, to the, to the um, gladiator's um, uh, coliseum to be eaten and marred by lions, all I want is to glorify Christ in death. And then in verse 21, we get to our text, and he says, For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. For to me, to live is Christ. In other words, for me, the only thing that matters if I'm alive is to live for Christ. And if I die, it's all the more gain. It's all the more gain. And so, this morning, I want to consider that verse in two headings Jesus is in life Jesus Jesus in life sorry and Jesus in death and I'll be on my seat what does the apostle Paul mean when he says for to me to live is Christ what's he talking about well I think he's saying at least two things the first being that for the Christian for the apostle Paul Christ is the source of his spiritual life Christ is the source of his spiritual life and secondly that Christ is the owner of his life. That Christ is the owner of his life. Let's consider the first one together. That's Christ is the source of the Christian's spiritual life. In John chapter 6 verse 51, the Lord Jesus Christ is standing before a crowd of men and women that he had just fed with bread the night before. And he tells them in verse 51, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread... He will live forever. You know the story, right? The Lord Jesus Christ was with his disciples and thousands of people came to meet with him. And out of the Lord's compassion for these people, he feeds them in a miraculous way and provides bread for them. These were, not, uh, these were you know, people at the lowest class of the social ladder. They were people who did not know necessarily where their bread was going to come from. And so when they saw Jesus Christ do this thing, immediately they said, ah, this one, we must not let him go. This is our king. This one will provide for us. And so the Bible tells us that in the Lord Jesus' miraculous way. That's one of the reasons why I love the Lord. The Lord Jesus Christ was not into crowds for the sake of crowd. He was not into numbers. The Lord Jesus Christ was not the kind of person who was chasing after the biggest church. And constantly you will find our Lord when the numbers, or number of people that were following him was becoming enormous he would almost purposefully present a message that would lead to half of them leaving him not because he did not want as many souls he is the king of souls and in heaven there will be an innumerable company of angels and spirits of just men made perfect but the lord jesus christ is not interested in your physical presence for the sake of it 
If your soul is not yielding to submission to him as the king and the lord of your life, he's not interested in you being there. And so these men, they had come to Jesus and they begin to, to, uh, to speak, you know, soft words to him. And they say to him, Lord, you know, where have you been? Ah, we were looking for you. And Jesus says, I know why you were looking for me. It's not because of you ate the loaves, were filled, and you realized who I was. No, 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 no. It's because your bellies were satisfied. And then Jesus says, do not labor for the bread which perishes, but the one that endures to everlasting life. And so they get into this discourse. And essentially, Jesus Christ tells them, there is something more important than your physical life. You see, for these people, they thought it was bread that they needed the most, physical bread. They thought that what would bring them greatest happiness, a sense of, a sense of sufficiency, a sense of satisfaction, a sense of peace at the time was food. Now, we don't want to undermine that because food is, in one sense, essential to physical life. It's not that the Lord was trivializing their needs to be taken care of physically. But you see, this need to be taken care of physically had overwhelmed them to the point where what consumed their thoughts was no longer the well-being of their soul, but rather the prosperity of their body. And Jesus essentially says to them, there is something greater than the nourishment of your body. You see, for Paul, getting back to Paul, perhaps when the Philippians sent one of their best men to see how he was doing, they, they provided a lot of um, support for Paul financially and in terms of physical substances, and they sent this man, Epaphras, to see how Paul was doing so that he could bring a report back to them. Perhaps they would have thought that for Paul, getting out of prison was what he probably wanted the most or what he needed the most so that he could be free to live so that he could be free to serve the Lord. He was an apostle. And Paul was the kind of apostle or the first among the apostles that clocked all sorts of miles in terms of his ministry. Paul was a traveling apostle. It was not like the apostle Peter who remained for most of his ministry in Jerusalem and then in Rome. That was what the Lord called him to. Paul was a missionary. Nothing thrilled his life like going from city to city preaching Christ when nobody had preached Christ before. And so imagine that kind of man with that kind of energy, that kind of commitment, that kind of zeal being locked under house arrest. So they would have looked upon and said, I know this man, this man can't be happy. He can't be happy. What he needs the most is to be physically free. But Paul writes to them and he says, no, you've misunderstood if you think that's who I am. If you think my source of life comes from ministry, you know, there are some men like that, and God keep all of us. Ministers, it is a temptation for us to so become wrapped with what we're doing for the Lord that it becomes our identity. So that if the Lord was to touch that ministry or take it away, or if, like we have some, even if you were to be found in sin and disqualified from ministry, rather than humbling yourself and leaving, you say, I can't part from this. You begin to make ministry an idol. But for Paul, ministry was not an idol. For Paul, being a missionary was not the primary thing. The primary thing was communion with Christ. Paul says, it is not prison that determines my joy. It's not prison that determines my power. It's not prison that determines my usefulness. My life is not defined by my circumstances. My peace is not contingent on comfort. My hope is not in a better 2023. 
all these necessities of the soul, the peace that I really need, the joy, the sense of usefulness comes to me through Jesus Christ. He is my life. And as long as I keep orbing around him, all will be well. Paul says, the only time my soul is in turbulence is when I take my eyes off him or replace something else where he alone is supposed to be. So child of God, let me ask you a question. Where are you as it relates to this kind of Christian life? Is Christ your life? Is he the center of your existence today? Are you feeding on him? You see, there might be some of you here that are believing the lie of the devil that you can't have real joy, you can't have real purpose, you can't have real peace until certain physical things happen for you. Perhaps for some of us, it's the whole culture that we have today of Japan leaving the country. And for you, your peace is, is being held in, in reservation, your joy, your sense of, of usefulness because you've not left the country yet and you are perturbed in your soul, you are depressed, you're angry. Perhaps for some of you it's employment or money. For some of you maybe it's marriage and your soul is in turbulence because it has not happened yet. Well, when you find yourself in that reality, you need to go back to this text and remind yourself for the Christian to live is Christ. To live is not marriage. To live is not japa. To live is not money. To live is not even good health. These things are not bad in and of themselves. God uses them and we can pray for them and anticipate them. But these are not the things compared to Jesus Christ, the creator of the universe, the one who holds all things by the word of its power, the one who the Bible says is worshipped by a legion of angels. Have you seen him? If you see him, all other things become like nothing. The Apostle Paul had seen Christ by faith. I'm not talking about some physical manifestation. But he had tasted Christ through the ministry of the Spirit in the revelation of the Word. And he said, there is nothing I need beside Jesus. There's a hymn that goes that way. All that thrills my soul is Jesus. He is more than life to me. This is Christianity, brothers and sisters. Christianity is not about the physical. Don't let Satan deceive you. Money will not satisfy your soul. Health will not satisfy your soul. A good job will not satisfy your soul. A better ex a country will not satisfy your soul. Jesus alone. Jesus, the sinner's friend. There's no one like him. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 33, 31, the Apostle Paul captures this in a sentence and he tells us, and because of him, because of God the Father, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. Christ is everything. You need wisdom, Christ. You need righteousness. You're burdened by sin and condemnation. You fell in sin yesterday. This morning you are aware of a certain uh, failure that you have before the holiness of God. Japa can't solve guilt. You can't run so far away from your sin geographically. There are some people who maybe you've committed a particular sin with someone. And what do you do? You block that person. And you don't want to see that person again. Well in the spiritual 
There's no such thing as blocking on, 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 on WhatsApp. The only thing that can block away the guilt of sin is the blood of Christ. And the Apostle Paul knows that. He knows that the thing the soul needs more than anything is to have peace with God. And so he says, Christ is our righteousness. Christ is our sanctification. A Christian's primary desire. If you have the Holy Spirit of God, let me tell you, it's not hard to know a true Christian. When a man and woman has come to faith in Christ, the thing that they desire above all else is to be like Jesus. I have so many people who call themselves Christians. I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian. But the thing that drives them is not a desire to be like Christ. No. A true Christian's desire is to be like Jesus. And because of that, Paul says, Jesus is also your sanctification. He's your redemption. Jesus said the same in John chapter 8. He says, if anybody thirsts, he looks at a world of people who are thirsty, a world of people who are in need, a world of people who are insecure, who like, like blind people, little children, they're, they're insecure and they cover their securities with material things. But that insecurity is never dealt with. They, they are overburdened with anger and lust and bitterness and unforgiveness, a sharp mouth, sarcasm, fear, Jesus says, you're all thirsty. Money won't take away your insecurity. Money won't take away your lust. But I, if you are thirsty, come to me and drink. And I will fill you up. And not only will I fill you up, I will make you a vessel to fill others. Paul understood that. That prison is not what is, or being free from prison is not what is going to change me. Jesus is my life. To live is Christ. Brothers and sisters, when you find yourself becoming thirsty in this life, lonely, bored, afraid, what you need is not primarily a change of circumstances. It can medicate the symptom for a while. You can become distracted in pleasure for a while. But you cannot cheat your soul. Your soul will cry out for something more. What you need is Christ. Amen? What you need is Christ. Secondly, what does he mean by to live is Christ? I think what he's also saying is that Christ is the owner of his life. What Paul was saying is that I live to serve Jesus. Paul says, when I came to Jesus, I gave my rights and my personal ambition away. He became my ambition. To do his will has become what I ultimately live for. Jesus and him being glorified, his, um, his name and the spread of his kingdom has become my obsession. You remember the story, the Apostle Paul, Acts chapter 9. A man who was rising in the ranks of his society as the premier lawyer of the day. The Apostle Paul was a man of almost genius capacity, I believe. And he was zealous. He was a man with passion. He was the kind of man that when he's passionate, you'll see it. When he's angry, you'll see it. When he's happy, you'll see it. Even when you read his letters, you can tell his emotional state at the time. But he met with Christ on the road to Emmaus, on the road to Damascus. He met with the Lord. And the moment he met with the Lord, everything changed. He gave up everything for Jesus. The persecuted or the persecutor became the persecuted for the sake of Christ. Paul gave up his life for Jesus. Jesus became his ambition. You see, for many believers today, 
We are often waiting for the right opportunity to live for the Lord. Some will say, when I am settled with work, then I'll give myself to Christ. When I'm married, then we can do, I can do ministry together with my wife. When I'm a little older, I'll give myself to Jesus. I will find time for Jesus and his kingdom. Life is so busy right now. There's so many demands upon me. I can't come to church on Wednesday Bible study. I can't really come to church every Sunday like that. I'm in a difficult situation. Paul was in prison. How many of you have been to prison? As in become criminals for Christ. I'm, I'm talking not because of what you did in your... How many of you have been to prison? And you know prison today is not like prison in the... in, in, in AD, AD 20. This man was suffering. And yet he says, Christ owns my life. If you read the verses before, Paul actually tells them, he says, now let me tell you something. I want to tell you what the Lord has been doing. You know that this imprisonment that he sent me to has actually turned out to advance the gospel. In prison, God has used me to preach the gospel. What a mindset. You don't need to become a pastor before you serve the Lord. You don't need to be married. You don't need money in your account. Your life belongs to him. Every breath you take belongs to him. And the more that revelation is impressed on you, to serve him will not be a matter of X or Y. You will just serve him. You will just serve him. That's what the Apostle Paul is saying. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 16, he says, Necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. For Paul, serving Jesus was like breathing. You see, a person doesn't wait for the right opportunity to breathe. You just breathe, right? And this is what Paul was saying. For me to live is Christ. It's who I am. I can't help but live for him. Wherever I find myself, whether I'm on holiday or at work or in the office or with my children, Christ, I need to communicate him with my life and with my words. If I'm playing football, if I'm resting, if I'm in a community of people who disagree with me, I have to find a way to present my life. We boast about what we believe we are the most. That's why I discovered this in my own life, so I'm, I'm preaching to myself first. When things, some years back, things were not going so well for me. And I almost entered into depression. And I hated the question, how are you doing? I hated that question. Because if I had to be honest with that question, I would have to let the one who was asking me know that nothing much is happening in my life. And I hated that sense. But when things started to go up, I didn't mind that question. How are you doing? Oh, God is good. You know, I'm working here now. And, 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 and God convicted me. And he showed me, you see, your joy, your sense of identity and worth is, wasn't found in Christ. It's not found in my son. It's found in the gifts I give you. No, friends, let's rise to a higher level of faith. Paul says, for to me, to live. Christ does not change. Work can change. Your love life can change. Your relationship even with your children, your family members can change. It goes up and down. But Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He remains the savior now. 
as he will be tomorrow, as he was yesterday. He remains perfectly satisfactory. He remains perfectly all-sufficient today, tomorrow, and forever. And so Paul says, I have a constant in terms of my joy and my peace. For the one who I'm in communion with is the same. To live is Christ. He says to die is gain. To die is gain. Let, let me spend a moment thinking about the subject of death. The World Bank tells us that the average lifespan of, of a Nigerian is about 52.89 years. I'm tempted to say God forbid. But that's what they say. You know, I don't know how they did it, but that's what they say. You see, the subject of death is a subject that is uncomfortable for most people, even in the church. It's a subject that is filled with pain and grief and loss. And I want you to know that death was not a part of God's original design. But because of the fall, because of what happened with Adam and Eve, now, under the curse of Almighty God, everyone is born on the road to death. Everyone. It's like a phone, right? That you connect with your charger. You bring it out of the box, a new phone, you connect it with uh, the charger so that it can get to 100%. What happens the moment you remove that charger? It's the same with us. The moment we come out of our mother's womb, though it looks like we're growing, we're actually dying. That's what happened because of the fall. Death is a final divider where our souls are forever separated from our bodies and ultimately from God if you're not a Christian. But for those who are in Christ, there's good news. Christ has freed us from the power of death because he has redeemed us. That's what the cross is all about. Jesus conquered death. And so now we are attached to that charger forever. And from 15%, we are being moved from one degree of glory to the next. One day we'll be 100 and we'll be 100 forevermore. So Paul says, to live is Christ and to die is gain. I'm not afraid of death, Paul says. There's nothing there. I've seen beyond the grave and there is a conqueror there. And he's my savior. In verse 23, he doesn't only say it's gain. He says it is far better. Very strange. Is this how churches talk today? Of death? Paul says to be with Christ is far better. For Paul, death for the Christian in this life is not, was not annihilation. Paul did not believe and the Bible does not teach that the soul is wiped out of existence when you die. For Paul, death was not soul sleep. The soul remains in a state of unconsciousness until Jesus returns finally for judgment and redemption. The soul was not, the death of a, of a Christian was not purgatory. Paul did not believe that there was a place of purification or temporary punishment in which the souls of Christians who die are to be purified for heaven. No, Paul believed that the moment he died, he was going to be in the presence of Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. You remember the story of the thief on the cross. Lord, remember me when you enter into your glory. And what did Jesus say? Today. Not tomorrow, not in a thousand years. 
this very day. That thief on the cross that had done nothing for Jesus his entire life. A criminal who the Bible says only a few hours ago was mocking him. But the spirit of God had fallen upon that man through free grace. And he had begun to see that this man on the cross is different from anybody I've ever known. And he realized the spirit of God probed him. That this one that you are mocking is the Messiah. And so by faith he said, Lord, I know I don't deserve it. But remember me. If you could just remember me when you die. And Jesus says, I will do more than remembering you. Today, you will be with me in paradise. When our breath is taken in this life, when you wake up into an unknown world, I'll be there right next to you to carry you into the eternal presence of Almighty God. I believe, friends, none of us have seen Christ in the flesh. But you know, when you close your eyes as a believer and you wake up in that unknown world, the world that Shakespeare said, because of how scary the prospect of death is, he was speaking about King Macbeth. Macbeth was talking about depression and he thought, what's the point of life? Life, you see, if you're a real atheist, life is not worth living. King Macbeth thought of life and he said, it's filled with ills and sorrow. Is it not better for me to just take out my, my knife and kill myself? He says, oh, but before I do that, I can't because of the fear of the unknown world. I don't know what's coming. So I'd rather stay alive and suffer with everybody else. But Jesus says, when you die, there's nothing to be afraid of. None of us has seen Christ in the flesh before. But I tell you, when you get to heaven, even if there are a million people standing in front of you, you will know who he is from a distance. Paul says to die is gain. Let me tell you two reasons and then we'll close. Why to die is, being, is better. Now, I'm not saying you should go and die. Please. I'm not saying that. I don't have time to elaborate on it. Paul was actually saying here that he will choose to stay for the work of God. But if he had his choice, he knows what awaits him in heaven. And so he would be there in an instant if the choice was his. Neither was he saying that, oh, I'm just tired of this world. To want to be with Christ is not the same as just... Uh, giving up on, on life. We are more than conquerors. Even in this world of pain, we can overcome. Why is it better to be in the presence of Christ? Let me tell you. When a Christian dies, brothers and sisters, what the scriptures teach us is that that Christian enters into the immediate presence of Christ. Where all the uncertainties and anxieties of life are left behind. We enter, when we enter into the presence of Christ, into absolute certainty. Some of us suffer with anxiety. And in different stages of our lives, because we don't know what tomorrow holds, there is always a constant sense of something could go wrong. But when you enter into the presence of the king, you are entering into the presence of the one who holds the universe with the word of his power. And so when you see him, your experience will be perfect peace, perfect calm. You will no longer be afraid, no longer worried, no longer scared of tomorrow. All the things that you thought you lost in this life, one second in the presence of Jesus Christ will make you say it was all worth it. Paul says to be with Christ is far better because there will be no more uncertainty. I will never wake up again lacking joy or fearful. All that I will know in the presence of Christ is complete love and complete acceptance. 
The only thing that will fill your heart is perfect peace, joy, rest because you see him as he is. You know what makes the Christian often become anxious and fearful in this life? You don't see him as he is yet. He's still like, you remember that blind man that Jesus, our Lord, took some sand and he, he made it clear and he, he washed the man's eye with this thing. What happened the first time? The man saw men walking as what? Trees. He couldn't see clearly. You know, that was a spiritual illustration the Lord was trying to give about the nature of faith. That for his people, many a times, they don't see him clearly yet. You can imagine the kind of anxiety that man was feeling. Why are trees moving? He knew that he was seeing clearly, but this was not what he wanted. And then imagine the kind of tranquility and joy the second time when, God, when the Lord wiped his eye again and he saw things as they were. Imagine the confidence to stand up and to run. That's what heaven is. Let me tell you the second reason why to be with Christ is far better. Because in the presence of Christ our Lord, we will enter into the fullness of the purpose for which we exist. Let me say that again. We will enter into the fullness of the purpose for which you and I exist. You know, there are some people in this world, and there are not many, who are born with a sense of destiny. They are born with a sense of purpose in this world. They know from when they were very young that this is what I, I was made to be in this life. And so they pursue it with all their power. But for most of us, it's not that easy to know exactly what we are supposed to be doing. I'm like that. I have different interests and it's not always so clear immediately that Lord, this is exactly what you want me to be doing in this world. And so the sense of purpose is a very mixed reality for many, many, many believers. But when we get to heaven, there will be no mixed sense of purpose. You will be fully aware of why you are made. You see, the problem is we put so much emphasis on 60, 70, 80 years of this life, forgetting that you will be alive for eternity. It is in eternity that you will fully realize why God made you. You know that. It's in eternity that all the power, all the intellect, all the capacities that he has given you in your mother's womb will come out in all its fullness. Do you know that? The beauty of your personality and uniqueness is not going to be fully discovered in this world. It is in heaven that everybody will enjoy who you are. The apostle Paul will look at you and say, Kai, the glory of God in you. James and David and, 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 and Sarah and Mary will look at you and say, you are so unique. Something that we would not be able to say in this life because of sin and confusion. Everybody will look at you in heaven, including God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and say, this is why I made you. And you yourself will know. There was a man who, um, who told a story of a, of a very tragic situation where his wife had been pregnant. It was time for her to give birth, and she gave birth indeed. And he wrote this letter because his son died the moment the woman gave birth. And he wrote a letter and he said, I only knew my son for two minutes in this world. Imagine the sadness of that, particularly for the wife. You've been carrying this baby for nine months, and the baby dies. And he began to, he's a Christian man, and he began to think on this subject. And he said to himself, why would God create a child to live for only two minutes? What's the point of that? What's the usefulness of that? What, 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 what did that child achieve except only causing pain? Did Christ really give, uh, create this child to live for two minutes? And this is how he answers the question. He didn't. He created that child to live forever. Because what is two minutes, what is 80 years in comparison to eternity? That child's destiny is not in this life. 
it will be fulfilled in the next. Don't worry if you have these ambitions in your soul that you don't see fully realized in this world. God is the one who has placed eternity in our hearts. We are made for more. But if you are made for more, then don't trivialize your life by pursuing empty and vain things. To live is Christ. And to die is gain. One more story. It is because of the reality of the fact that we are made to live for Christ and to die for Christ that we are able to live radically for Christ. If you were to catch this understand, an understanding of what I'm telling you, friends, it will radicalize your Christian life. There were in, in 1727 two missionaries in the Moravian uh, world. David Nitschmann, who was 36, and Johann Dober, who was 26. These men were missionaries for Christ. They lived in Europe. But they heard of the plight of African slaves. This was during the time of slavery. Who were transferred to an island called St. Thomas in the Caribbean. And they had heard that these, these, these slaves were beginning to desire to understand the gospel and to know Christ. And so they had spoken to the owner of that plantation, but the owner of that plantation hated God. And he said, I will never allow you people to set foot on my island so that you can convert these people never. And so you know what they did? Because of their burden to serve Christ, because of this reality that to live is Christ and to die is gain, had so captured their hearts, they decided to sell themselves into slavery. What? They decided that there is nothing better we can do with our lives than to give up our earthly freedom to go and make men really free. Because to live is not about being able to roam across the seven continents of this world. That's not true freedom. To have all the money in this world it's not true freedom. To live is freedom in Christ. And so they sold themselves into slavery. And so the day came. They had told their church. They had told their people. And the people of God had prayed and fasted. And they were convinced of the will of God for that to happen. And so the day came when they were to depart into slavery. And all the community gathered together at the port to see them off and wish them well. But these two missionaries as the the boat was moving closer and closer into the into the horizon they could see that the faces of their people was filled with sadness and doubt that could, is this really the wisest way to live is this really the decision that we've made it reminds me of Acts chapter 20 where Paul is about to leave the Ephesians and they're weeping Christianity is a very emotional religion and as they saw in the distance these brothers and sisters and fathers and mothers weeping on their behalf they looked at each other and said how can we encourage them with a final word and so they locked arms together and they sh shouted and cried with the loudest voices they could muster up shall the lamb that was slain not receive the reward of his suffering in other words is he not worthy enough for us to give up our lives so that we may go into the world and claim souls on his behalf we have seen him don't weep for us to live is Christ and to die is gain brothers and sisters how do we get there think about the shortness of life on a daily basis and remember that you are going to the presence of Jesus Christ Daily meditate on it until it moves you to joy and prayer 
And as you do that, you will find yourself increasingly like the Apostle Paul, being able to say, whether by life or death, that Christ may be glorified in my body. For to live is Christ, and to die is gain. May the Lord bless his word to our hearts. Let's just bow our heads for a moment and... I just want you to know that the Lord will never put you to shame. I want you to know that the Lord will never put you to shame. Everyone that has put their faith in Him, everyone that has put their faith in Him, the Lord will not put you to shame. I pray for you this morning that the Lord will open your eyes to see Him and to know Him. The kind of heart, the kind of heart that sees God, the kind of heart that is willing to sell themselves into slavery for God, the kind of heart and the kind of appetite where the things of this world can no more satisfy. I pray that the Lord will jolt you, those that have been complacent and those that have become comfortable with the things of this world, that the Lord will strike you and wake you up so that nothing else can satisfy you. The Lord is able to do this. And I believe he will do the same for all of us. In the name of Jesus. We will serve the Lord all the days of our lives. We will fulfill our purpose for us in this world. In the name of Jesus. Oh, we will serve the Lord all the days of our lives. Our children will serve the Lord all the days of their lives. We will fulfill his purpose for us. In the name of Jesus. Father, we give you thanks. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name we have prayed. Thank you for listening to this message. We hope you were blessed. For more updates on our programs and audio messages, follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at This Excellent Church. God bless you.